I'm Heather Mo Williams. I am a network solutions analyst at Comscope. Between CBRS and Wi-Fi 6E, we basically almost have all of the tools in our hands if other people would get out of our way and let us finish solving the problems. I'm Catherine Speglia, and this is Well Technically, the tech podcast where women do the explaining. Heather, hi. Thanks so much for joining me today. Hi, I love the description of that podcast. So before getting into the technology part, uh, I've been starting these conversations off by first asking a few questions to get to know my guests. So are you ready for those? I think so. All right. What is an example of a time in which being a woman empowered you? That's interesting because um, in some ways, the bar is not necessarily set high. When you walk into a room, sometimes the expectations aren't that high. They're like, oh, it's you. As a a woman walking into like, say, a warehouse um, or even into like a conference center, you tend to be invisible. And we all know in like on the security side, we all know that humans are the weakest link. So social engineering is really important. And one of my, this is like my badge of honor. So the uh, one of the first years that I was uh, running the Wi-Fi for Black Hat, there was another conference in, in uh, Vegas going on at the same time. It was called SuperZoo. And it is a trade show for everything pet related. So every pet shop owner in the world goes to SuperZoo. And it is amazing. I didn't even have animals at the time, and I wanted five of them. So it turns out that hackers like their animals better than they like people. So everybody in the knock was just dying to break into SuperZoo and get access to the conference. And they're, of course, you know, semi-professional. So they had their ways. And so I was the only one who was able to legit get in to SuperZoo. I came back with a swag. I did not have a badge. Everybody else figured out a way to hack credentials and get a badge. And I felt really bad. I felt really dumb, like, okay, I'm not really a hacker. But then it turned out they had to do it because they were the only ones who couldn't socially engineer their ways in. And I was able to get past three checkpoints. I used three different methods, wearing my black hat hoodie after they'd been warned and told, hey, look, there's a hacker conference here. Be, be on your guard. And, uh, and a lot of it had to do with the fact that I was a female because I just was, I was not threatening. I was invisible. That is a very interesting story. I feel like it exposes the negatives and positives of being a woman like Simon. Hey, it, it, what it says is you take what you're given and how you turn it into an advantage, which I think most successful women in tech have figured out how to do. I discovered a fun fact about you while doing some research. Oh, Your no. favorite animal is the honey badger? Oh, yeah. Why the honey badger? Oh, well, you know, the meme about honey badger don't care. Yes. But, the, but the, there's a reason why, you know, things are a cliche is because some of these things are just really true. I spent more time in Europe, Asia, and Africa than I did in the U.S. for a couple of years. And Africa was absolutely, I mean, like my favorite continent uh, of all. And so the honey badger, of course, is a native and I've gotten to, I've gotten to see them on preserves and, and, and they actually test. They, so they'll go to these preserves and will bring out designs for honey, your honeybee farms, the, the, the hives. 
and test them. They'll put them in the cages with the honey badgers. And when they, could, when they come up with a design that's honey badger proof, that's when they deploy them. They just don't give up. Okay. And you can't stop them. I love that. As everyone knows by this point, the pandemic has exposed the problem of broadband inequality in the U.S., but it's not true that we didn't know this was a problem before the lockdowns, right? The FCC has been trying to improve broadband mapping after discovering that the models are inaccurate and overestimated coverage. So my first question is, how bad is this inequality really? And second, what was causing the inaccuracies with mapping before? Oh, that's a lot. That's a lot to unpack there. So, first of all, um, when you say the FCC is uh, is on board now and trying to help, it's it, it, I'm going to go back to that meme from uh, Die Hard, where Bruce Willis has got the gun uh, hanging out the window and he's saying, "Welcome to the party, pal." <laughs> so we've been here. We've been trying to fight this. Um, we've been saying it. Um, and yeah, the I, I guess if there. Are, you know, you try to look for silver linings. If there's any silver lining to, to COVID, um, one of them has to be that there's a, I mean, there's no way to, where to hide from this, the broadband inequity and, and the digital divide that we have. And that digital divide is, um, is being seen not just for the K through 12, uh, but also our seniors who are, um, more, um, susceptible. They're more at risk. So they're the ones that we really need to keep you know, locked up inside, but they're also the ones that are more likely to uh, feel uh, uh, lonely and, and isolated. And so having connectivity for them, I'm going to argue is just as important as having it for these uh, K through 12 people who are uh, kids who are trying to just get on with their education. I've used this statistic repeatedly and it never fails to get like a, a cocked eyebrow or a little bit of a gasp. 96% of the U.S. land mass is rural. 96% of the U.S. landmass does not have a good option or any option for a, uh, a wireline or for broadband. And this is a significant num- amount of the population. It's 96% of the landmass is obviously not 96% of the population because we skew heavily into urban areas. Urban areas have their own uh, challenges in terms of affordability um, and accessibility. They actually almost have a, a glut problem. Um, so it's easier to fix the problem in rural areas because the RF is so clean. So we have airspace so we can use these unlicensed spectrums um, like Wi-Fi. And that's the segue into uh, the hero of this story is the WISP. So uh, much of rural America is covered thanks to the wireless internet service providers. And these are small mom and pop uh, organizations usually um, working on razor thin margins, um, but they're doing uh, the yeoman's work of actually bringing connectivity um, to areas that have been uh, largely ignored by the license spectrum and the and the large ISPs. Now you ask, why is it that we have a mapping problem? Um, it's sort of like putting the fox um, in charge of the hen house. So the FCC has been relying on maps that have been self-reported by the cell providers and the carriers. Um, the problem is the way they do it is they divide the 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 map up according to census regions, so census blocks. If there is a single household in a census block that is eligible or could be covered, they consider that that entire census block is eligible and has coverage, even though there may be no ability for anybody else, except for that one house, to actually get the connectivity. 
So what are Comscope and Ruckus Networks doing to facilitate better broadband equality? Well, we've actually been working uh, from the beginning. So on the Ruckus side, and we, we've been acquired by Comscope. So um, Comscope, of course, is a, a fiber company. So they, they make the cables that actually, and, and I'm a Wi-Fi engineer. Um, and so I, of course, you know, I, I solve the problem with the hammer that I have in my hand. But the truth is that no Wi-Fi works without really good wires. We have to, at some point, we're going to have to put the, the data across a wire. Um, on the Ruckus side, we've been at the forefront from the beginning with innovative technologies. So we, we work with the technologies that exist and also with the technologies that are going to be existing. So some of the new things that have been announced, uh, Citizens Broadband Radio, so CBRS, um, is going to be coming out. And that's going to help solve a lot of problems where we have uh, connectivity issues. Um, we have, we're working, we work closely with the Wi-Fi Alliance. So we have Wi-Fi 6, um, which is going to very much help the urban areas where there's a density problem because it gives you um, more efficiency uh, within the spectrum that we have. And then, of course, Wi-Fi 6E, the biggest game changer since the FCC opened up the spectrum for Wi-Fi originally back in the 90s. That, that's how big um, this one is. It's, it's, you really can't overstate how important it's going to be. Speaking of Wi-Fi 6E, when can we expect widespread adoption? Well, there's adoption and then there's widespread adoption. And so the way these things typically go, um, the consumer side is, is usually first to market because it's just a, a lot less of a lift. Um, so you're going to start seeing, I think by the end of the year, you know, it's hard to say now because frankly, it's June and I look back on February and it feels like that was five years ago. So it's, it, you know, time has telescoped and we're, we're just in this wormhole of, I think we may have found the, uh, the, fountain of youth because we're not actually aging. We're just stuck in this vortex. So, so it's hard to say if, if how much of the apocalypse is going to be um, uh, affecting uh, everybody's timelines. Uh, I would say by the end of the year, you're going to start seeing some of the first um, uh, devices out there. What the, the important thing is uh, how soon do we get the client devices? One of the things about Wi-Fi is that we, we bring our baggage along with us. So every time we have a new amendment, it needs to be backwards compatible with the previous amendment. So whatever, when we started off, it was 11B in the 2.4 gig uh, on the, that radio. And then we went to G and then we went to N. But we had to have protection mechanisms so that the poor little 11B devices could still connect to the G or the N devices. And, B. and so you would end up having basically a, a highway that was cluttered with um, uh, really fast um, uh, Maserati along with the clunker and somebody on a bicycle. Um, and they all had to have equal access. And so some, it, it, it could cause problems. Uh, with 6E, it's like you, we're getting our own special superhighway and only the 6E devices are going to be able to be on it. So nobody else, there's not going to be any legacy devices. So any, so we're going to be able to leave the 2.4 and the 5 gig radio to what is now going to be known as legacy devices. And so as soon as these new devices start coming out, um, then you, that, that can take advantage of the 6E. That's when you're really going to start seeing uh, some big advantage. And I think that it's actually going to drive um, adoption of new devices. Um, because everybody's going to want to leave with the, the proliferation. And as much as I hate, I, I now do a lot more work with IoT than I ever thought I would. With the proliferation of all of those devices, I mean, basically 2.4 is the junk spectrum. And 5 gig is going to be getting there, I think, um, uh, eventually. Do you consider adequate connectivity a human right? 
Oh, um, yeah. I, I think there's a Wi-Fi engineer out there that doesn't say it's a utility. And now that we know, I mean, it's the it's the great equalizer economically. Um, without connectivity, you have. Uh, well, I live in a community where none of the local uh, businesses have uh, uh, have web pages. Web pages drive traffic, but if you don't have connectivity and your customers don't have connectivity, it's sort of like a, a catch twenty two. So switching gears here a bit, you've written a few blog posts on, am I saying it right, Emotit malware. First right. of all, how do you pronounce it? Second of all, what exactly is that? So the funny thing is, is I've not had a face-to-face conversation with anybody about this malware. So it's all been in writing. And so I never make fun of anybody who doesn't know how to pronounce something because it means that they learned it from reading a book, which is always, you know, um, admirable. Um, the, so one of the hardest things in cybersecurity is attribution. Sometimes it's maybe not even, um, worthwhile to go through all of that. Um, I'm pretty comfortable that I, I think that the, the, that the, the, um, professional security, um, researchers who, who, uh, have done a lot of work with this, um, we're pretty sure it's Russian. Um, and so I'm going to go, I, I've just always settled on the Russian pronunciation. So I call it imitet. It's been called one of the most costly and destructive malware for both public and private um, organizations, and it's been it's been on that list for at least five years. Um, so it's a it's basically a trojan that comes in, um, probably on a malicious macro, and it's usually a an effective uh, spam or phishing um, email that's the first um, in, uh, vector of infection. It's Effective because it's small and compartmentalized. So it's it's a very small piece. It doesn't do very much except for insert itself and then call home. Once it calls home, it can then deliver whatever package du jour um, that is is needed. Once it has control, so you've you've clicked on a a, a malicious macro and you've got the first part of the uh, of the malware installed, it then dials home and, and it has some very basic um, uh, functionality at that point. It's just basically a rat, a remote administration tool. Um, so it can then download and ex- uh, execute, download and update, or uninstall. That's basically all it can do. So it's looking for that command and control server, a C2, to send the second stage um, payload. That one is what's very variable, and it can be, um, and it can be uh, used to do um, a bunch of different things. It's mostly used, uh, well, what they're doing is they're creating botnets out of this. So once you're infected, it then um, performs lateral, lateral movements across the wired network to infect anybody else within um, the enterprise. Um, it's they're then using, um, and I, I'm sure you've heard the term software as a service. Their business model now is malware as a service. So they've got these botnets that they can then lease out and say, oh, hey, you need to do, you know, X, Y, Z. Um, you can rent out my botnet to launch your campaign. So I'm going to use an analogy now that I think probably almost everyone in the world can uh, can relate to. So if before um, the emitet could only spread across the wire, so you get a, a fish, you get one person who's affected through a fish or a spam, um, and then it spreads across the wired network to servers and then other uh, devices on that network. It's sort of like if you had a virus like COVID, and the only way it was able to spread is if we shook hands or I touched something 
and then you picked it up. That was the only way I could spread the, the disease or the malware to you. By creating a Wi-Fi spreader, they have now made Emotet airborne. And that was very alarming to me earlier this year when that, ha- when, uh, that got announced. Luckily, if you have a good uh, uh, enterprise quality uh, network, um, there are some things you can do. I'd, I'm not going to point out some of the inefficiencies uh, behind Emotet because the bad guys evolve as fast or faster than the good guys. Um, oftentimes, it's not a matter of making yourself secure. It's just making yourself more secure than somebody else who's less hard work. I mean, because they're all about the, the low-hanging fruit. It's sort of like, you know, which between you and me, which one of us can, is, can run faster? Because I don't have to be faster than the bear. I just have to be faster than you. Um, and so a, a good enterprise uh, network. Uh, so certainly you want to turn on client isolation. Um, and then there are things that um, the Ruckus products can do. So, for instance, we have a DPSK, so it's a dynamic pre-shared key, and you can uh, issue out a very secure password on a per-client device basis. So every device has its own password. Um, the way the Emotet Wi-Fi spreader works is it's basically trying to do a brute force or work off of a, a dictionary attack. Um, that's going to be a lot less effective um, against something like a, a DPSK or a, a really strong uh, private network, a private password for every device. That's, it's just not going to be uh, cost effective. Okay, bringing this conversation of security back to Wi-Fi 6E, will cybersecurity have to evolve much in the Wi-Fi 6E era? Well, the, the short answer is yes, because it's always going to have to evolve. The bad guys are, are constantly evolving and constantly looking at a way to take advantage. Um, I think it's one of those things that we don't know what, what we don't know. Um, so th- with from Wi-Fi 6E's point of view, the big difference is the physical layer. So we're on a different um, um so it's going to be new chipsets because we're going to be, we're on a different spectrum of the of, so it's a different radio that's going to be listening to it. So from that sense, there's nothing new or different that we need to be concerned about. Um, the underlying you know way the the way the protocol works, it you know is there is it possible that somebody who sits all day in their mother's basement poking at it is going to find you know a way to to get past defenses? Um, that's how these things work. So yeah, absolutely. I think that the the, the long and short of it is uh, you have to always expect the Spanish Inquisition and, and always be ready for it. I told you earlier that the Wisps were the uh, superheroes of bringing um, broadband equity to the U.S. Um, uh, security researchers really are the superheroes of, uh, of cyber uh, security. They're the ones that are reverse engineering the way the bad guys are working and the ways poking at what we're doing to see if we're doing something stupid and we should be, you know, fixing it. Well, Heather, it's been a pleasure speaking with you about broadband equity and honey badgers. Thanks so much for taking the time to join me today. Thank you. It was, it was a nice talking with you. Well, Technically is an Arden Media production. For advertising inquiries, contact Danny Miller at dmiller at ardenmedia.com. Today's show was produced and edited by me, Catherine Speglia.